Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you, and enjoy. So, for those who don't know me, I'm Deacon Dave. I was ordained in 1998, uh, came out of St. Basil's, was assigned to St. Basil's by the bishop. Uh, in 2010, my wife and I moved to Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, we stayed there 10 years and came back in, just in time for COVID in 2019. Uh, I'm retired. I'm officially not a, assigned to St. Basil's because I'm uh, 13 years beyond retirement age that they make you retire as a, a minister in the church. And I'm serving at the pleasure of Father Ryan, and I will keep serving as long as I can function and uh, I married five kids, lots of grandkids, lots of great-grandkids. Uh, that's all you need to know about me. <laughs> Other than I came from Louisiana. All right, our talk tonight is, uh, is entitled Equipped for Holiness. And it occurred to me as I was getting ready to, to start this talk about holiness, it occurred to me the other day I heard on the news, and you know this, the definition of words are changing for us, in case you haven't noticed. Uh, we saw a Supreme Court justice nominee unable to define what a woman was. And we have found other names of things changing. And I just found out that a feel can no longer be a feel because it has its roots back in the days of slavery. So our football field is not a football field anymore. Our baseball field is not a field. Our field of work and our employment, uh, all of, anyway, words are changing. So when you think about the word holiness, I'm not sure what comes to your mind. I know what comes to my mind. I, I think holy is like one of those words like quality that you could look it up in the dictionary and it'll tell you what it is, but you really got to experience it to know what it really means. Like you know quality service when you get quality service in a restaurant or hotel or anywhere you go. You know a quality automobile when you drive one. By the way, I drive Toyotas and have since 1980, eh, somewhere around 1980, and been driving an Avalon since they came out in 1995. I've never had a major repair. So I'm not going to change because I think I drive a quality automobile. It's got nothing to do with what Fords or Chevys or Chryslers. It's just the fact that my experience tell me that Toyotas don't break down and I drive them until they're 250 miles and then I get a new one. And I think I'm gonna, my Toyota's going to outlive me this time. So anyway, what is holiness? And when you look at it, what does it look like? What does it feel like? You know, who comes to your mind when you think of holiness? You can think of Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross. You can think of St. Augustine. You might think of John Paul and Mother Teresa. You can think of all these saints. But when you get this image of holiness in your mind, it has literally something to do with sanctity, purity, uh, able to follow God and his laws almost without fault. 
Now, we know St. Augustine was full of faults before his conversion, but it, I don't know where your image of holiness is. My first spiritual director was Father Camille, the pastor before Father Walt. I thought Father Camille was the holiest man I had ever met. And that image of Father Camille was based on one fact alone. One, he was my spiritual director, and he gave me great guidance. But every morning, if you wanted to see Father Camille, all you do is walk in St. Basil's Church, right outside the door at the entrance to the sacristy, there was a little kneeler, and Father Camille would be on that kneeler doing morning prayer. In the middle of the day, he was on that kneeler doing his afternoon prayer, and in the evening, he was on that kneeler doing his evening prayer. That's my image of Father Camille, plus the things that he did for me as, as a spiritual director. But I had a Jewish friend that I, I, Father Camille actually enrolled me in a course in, in spiritual counseling, counseling for ministers. It was at uh, uh, Case Western Reserve. It was taught by a rabbi and his wife. It was a year-long program, and you had to be an ordained minister to be in the program. Now, the ordained minister I was, was a one-month ordained deacon. I was the only Catholic in the group. There were eight of us. And there was a Jewish rabbi of a small temple on the east side of Cleveland in the class. And he and I got to be great friends. In fact, we would often meet before the class, have breakfast together, and we would talk about the differences between Christianity and Judaism. And we'd talk about a range of topics and one of the topics we talked about is this whole concept of holiness where God tells us that we are to be holy as the Lord your God is holy. And he told me one time, he said, you Christians, you got this all wrong. He said, because when you think of holiness, your concept is you look at what is wrong with you that you cannot follow God's laws. You look at your deficiencies you look at the things that you do wrong. You look at your sinfulness and you say, I've got to rid myself of all of this stuff. And if I can rid myself of this, I could be holy. And he said, if you're not looking inward, you're also beginning to look outward and saying, well, if I got into the right program, if I just became a part of the men's ministry, maybe I'll find holiness. Or if I went to a retreat, or if I did adoration, or I did this divine chaplet, or we did the rosary, and we go to Mass every day. We look at things that we could do, and if I do these things, then I'm going to be a holier person. And he said, you guys got it all wrong. He said, you look at that, and he said, just think about what you're saying. And he forced me to look inward, and it suddenly dawned on me what he was telling me, or trying to say to me, as we as Christians believe Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he is the Savior, paid the penalty for our sins, and if we're going to look at holiness as a do-it-yourself project, then I don't need a Savior. I could be holy without Christ. I could do all those things, but I'm not going to be a holy man of God. I will be religious, possibly. I might be pious, but I'm not going to be holy. And I began to think about you know, what my, my Jewish friend was telling me, and he's literally saying that we Christians approach our faith like a do-it-yourself project. 
Now, Joe and I were talking before the session. You know, we got this group called the Fix-It Friends, and the Fix-It Friends is going around, and we're doing all these wonderful works for people in our parish. And if you ever did a do-it-yourself project, and most of us guys have, it usually takes longer than we think, and we aren't prepared for the surprises that happen. I mean, I know things that I've done in my life. I'd look at it and said, oh, I could fix this. I, you know, this is going to be simple. And I'd look it up, and now we didn't have YouTube in my day growing up. You know, we learned these things by just looking at them and saying, okay, my mechanical mind tells me this is what's wrong. Now today you can look at YouTube and it'll tell you how to do anything. Just follow the instructions and even tell you the special tool you need which I had to find out on my own oftentimes. But I would get into a project and they said, oh, I could finish this probably in 45 minutes. And then three hours later, I'm sitting there and finally getting this job done. So if we look at our holiness as a do-it-yourself project, what we end up doing oftentimes is we approach it and we get discouraged because things are not going the way we think they should. We just quit on it because it's harder than we think and we don't see the results that we think we should have. And then when that happens, we begin to look inward into ourselves and say, what is wrong with me that I cannot do the simplest of things to follow God's command? What is wrong with me that I cannot follow even the basics of God's law? And we begin to look at this as a weakness in ourself. We began to look at it and said, I'm just weak and I'm never going to get this right. And we just give up. We said, this is who I am. But it's not who we are. The scriptures tell us that we are made in God's image, that we are made in the image and the likeness of God. And it goes on in scripture, Paul tells us that we are predestined to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. That this is who we are destined to look like, to feel like, to act like, we're destined to conform to Christ. And if we're never going to do it by a do-it-yourself project, as I said, what's going to happen to us is we're going to end up being pious. We're going to end up being religious, but we're definitely not going to be holy. So as we look at ourselves and we look at our, our weaknesses in ourselves, we want to overcome them. And what God is trying to tell us is something very, very different. He says, we are not going to be able to do this alone. The scripture passage you just read. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And yet we try to be holy without asking Christ how to be holy, allowing Christ and what God prepared for us has equipped us with to tap into that to be holy men of God. We may be able to follow the law, but we are never going to become who God created us to be. So we say that Christ came to save us, but he did more than come to save us from our own sinfulness. He came to bring you and I into the kingdom of God. In fact, the first words of Jesus spoken in the Gospel of Luke when he comes out of the desert is the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. He came to usher in the kingdom of God. 
And the kingdom of God is where you and I live and walk and feel, and we can feel the presence of God in every aspect of our life. My Jewish friend says, the Jewish approach to holiness is they look at it as a relationship with God every day. So that every day they look at their relationship with God and say, how am I living my faith and my relationship with God? And they say that God tells us that we should love him with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole strength, and our whole soul. The first and greatest commandment, as Jesus taught us. And he said, we look in our life and say, how are we doing that today? In my business work, how am I reflecting Christ in my business dealings? In my relationship with my wife, how am I reflecting my relationship with Christ? And how I'm treating my kids, how am I reflecting my relationship with Christ? In my relationship with friends and strangers and those people that I see on the road who are begging, how am I reflecting Christ? He says, so we Jews look at holiness in the context of our daily life. And it's not a relationship, that we're, a status that we're trying to grow into. It's not that we're trying to change ourselves. We're trying to be who Christ created, God created us to be. And that's the concept that God is coming to you and I and talking to us about our own holiness. And without it, we are simply going to be religious men. And there's nothing wrong with being religious. You can follow the laws of God and not sin and not worry about your relationship with God in the end of your life. How many of you drive 25 going south from Brexville from here <laughs> to the Metro Park? Joe Keberley. Two of you. I drive 42. Because <laughs> I was told by a policeman one time they never ticket you seven miles over the speed limit, and I act like the speed limit's 35, but it's 25. Fortunately, I've never been stopped. But you know, the problem with the law is we, we bend the law. How many of you got teenage kids? And you tell your teenager, I want you home at 11 o'clock. And they come in at 11.10. Eh, it's kind of close. Do you stop them? Do you talk to them? Do you let them go? But guess what happens? If you don't talk to them, next week is 11.15. And if you don't talk to them then, guess what happens? The next week is 11.20, then 11.30. And finally you get enough to say, hey, I told you 11 o'clock. Well, Dad... You know, I've been coming at 11.30, so why don't we just make it 11.30? Okay, 11.30. And guess what happens? Same thing all over again. We push the limits of the law. You know, what we don't understand oftentimes about the law and, and, and our following the law. Remember Jesus when he challenged the, the people about the law and he said, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your mind. He took the law of adultery and he increased it with just a thought and said, you're guilty. The law said a lie for an eye and a, a tooth for a tooth, arm for an arm, hand for a hand. He said, literally, if they strike you on the other cheek, you turn the other one. If someone borrows from you, he said, don't expect to be paid in return. When the law said they had to pay in return. He was taking the law and he was challenging everything about the law. And why was he doing that? 
because it says you, you are ignoring the spirit of the law. Paul in his letter says to us that the law acts as our disciplinarian. It keeps us in check until the law of the spirit comes. So there's a, a, an event happening. And if you think about God and us and how he created us and how he's shaping us and molding us and his desires for us, he says, you shall be holy as I am holy. And I've become to understand that that is not a command. It's a statement of fact. God is not telling us, you will be holy because I demand it of you. He's literally telling us, you shall be holy because I created you to be holy. You are made in my image and likeness. I created you to be holy men. I created you to reflect the image of my son. I created you to conform to the image of my son. And he not only tells us that, the scriptures reveal that to us time and time and time again. Paul in his second letter to Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 18. See, we never think of being holy this way. He said, all of us with unveiled faces. What is this unveiled face? He's literally saying, put ourselves before God without a mask, without any attempt to hide who we are, without any attempt to hide our sinfulness. He says, all of us with unveiled faces, gazing on the face of the Lord, are being transformed from glory to glory into the very image of His Son by the Holy Spirit. So God has equipped us for holiness not only by sending us Jesus Christ, who died for the penalty of our sin, Christ in the upper room said, it's far better for me to go because if you don't go, you will not receive the Spirit. And God promised the Spirit is going to be our equipping for holiness. Christ removed the barrier of sin between ourselves and God, but it is the Holy Spirit working in us that's going to move us into holiness. Now, most of us would never think of just sitting and being, unless it was possibly an adoration, as a means of holiness or sitting in meditation. But what Paul is telling us is the Spirit will work within us to change us, as Paul says, into new creations. And as he's changing us into new creations, he's shaping us so that we will conform to the image of Jesus Christ. This is Martha and Mary. Martha doing the work of hospitality, doing everything she could to make that day go well while Christ was in their home in Bethany, serving the guests, feeding the guests, making sure they're comfortable, doing all the work that is necessary when you invite somebody into the presence of Christ, just as our greeters and ushers and all of us do in church, making people feel welcome. But he said, Mary chose the better part because she's sitting at the feet of Jesus just listening, listening to what he is saying, letting the word of God change her. And in that passage from John, he said, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. We need to allow the word of God to begin to penetrate our hearts and move within us. But somehow we get trapped into this mentality 
that if we just follow the law, we're okay. And we are okay if we are able to follow the law. But God wants us to experience more. When he said he came to give us an abundant life, when he came to reveal the Father to us, he wants us to experience what he is offering us. And as Paul tells us to be renewed by the, by the renewal of our minds, so that we know the great hope to which we are called and the immense power of God that is at work within us. So God is telling us, it's the Holy Spirit working within us that will transform us from glory to glory into the image of God. And if you think that's not enough, you just got to look at other passages where Christ is telling us. In Ephesians 2, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for the good works He has prepared in advance for us. At the moment of our birth, Psalm 139 tells us, when it talks about we are fearfully and wonderfully made, at the end of that, he said, In my book is written every one of your days, and the good deeds I prepared in advance for you. The good deeds I prepared in advance for you. It's tonight when God prepared for you. This is the thing that I've wrestled with ever since I became a deacon, and I began walking my own journey with Christ, Am I doing what you prepared for me today? Am I giving this talk because God wanted me to give the talk? Or because I like giving talks? It's a question I wrestle with. Is this a sin of pride? Or is this what God wanted of me? And the only answer to that question is i got to listen to God speaking to my heart. Or I go to my spiritual director and I talk to my own spiritual director about where God is leading me. And does this sound like God? Does this sound like Dave? But God has a plan for each one of you. He has a plan for your sons and your daughters. He has a plan for your wife. And if we're following God the way we are, we're going to begin to understand the plan for their lives, and we will be better husbands and better, better fathers. But God has a plan for you, and He has a plan for me, and that plan is that we are going to be holy. And the amazing thing about all this is God has done it for us. We need to learn how to surrender to God working in us. And that's the hardest thing to do. It's easy to follow the law. Believe me, it is. We might fall, but we can go to reconciliation and go start again tomorrow. And we can repeat that cycle over and over and over again. As I said earlier, we began to look at this as a weakness in ourselves, but it really isn't a weakness. It's disobedience. We're denying what God has given us to be holy. We're refusing to accept what God has given us to be holy. We're taking our own salvation upon ourselves and saying, I'm going to do God's will and end up in heaven because I'm capable of doing all these nice things. When God says, I've made it easier for you, and you might discover that you're really not doing what I wanted you to do because I had a plan for your life that you're not living yet. And how are we going to discover that? We need to begin to listen to the Word of God. We get this as part of the meditation. What is God saying to you? And He does speak to us. 
He speaks to us constantly through his word, through other people, through circumstantial signs, through innovation. Oh, you know, it can come in a book or a movie or, you know, it just God is constantly bombarding us with his word to us if we simply pay attention. Holiness will never come to us if we treat it like a do-it-yourself project. And again, looking at the do-it-yourself project, we're going we're gonna to approach that as, gee, as we start surrendering to God and we feel like we're making progress, all of a sudden we are going to get tempted, my brothers. We are going to be tempted. God doesn't want us to change. He likes you where you are. He likes you following the law because your ability to influence other people is diminished. But if you're following God and tapping into that immense power of God that is available to us, you have the ability to influence other men. And the minute you have the ability to influence other men, you have the ability to change their lives and have them change other lives. And the gospel message can spread. But as long as we are practicing our own religious piety, it is me and God, me and God alone. It's the church before Vatican II. It is us and God and no one else. And Satan likes us there. There's a beautiful story. If you never read the screw tape letters, you probably should read it. It's a wonderful book by C.S. Lewis. talks about how the devil tempts us. It's Wormwood, who is uh, a devil in training, and his uncle Screwtape, who's already a devil. And the screw tape is writing his nephew letters talking about how to tempt sinners to fall. And it's a wonderful story, but there's a follow-up to screw tape, and it's a very short piece you could Google that says, Screw tape proposes a toast. Now all these little devils in training are graduating. They're at their graduation ceremony. They have been taught how to make sinners fall, and they have made a lot of people fall in their training and in their apprenticeship. And they're having a feast, and the feast is the souls of the sinners they had made fall. And Screwtape in his toes talks about the abundance of the meal. But he goes on to say the meal is not as great as it was in the because in the past there was great sinners. And the great sinners as part of the feast are the most delicious to dine on. But these little sinners, even though they're not as delicious, they're much more abundant. And he is literally telling them, we have lots to eat. And that is us. We look at little sins and we look at big sins. And as long as we're doing the little ones, we're okay. But God says, you will be holy as I am holy because I have created you for holiness. I want you to look at one other passage. And this blew my mind. Now, I have read Scripture since 1972, 73. I started as when I had my encounter with Christ. I wrestled with it. I finally said yes to Christ way back in 1973. And I think I've read through the Bible now. I don't know how many times I've lost track. But I'm on my fifth Bible right now. My first one was worn and tattered, and I replaced it with another one. And my second one got worn and tattered. And in fact, Terrace Petrino bought me my third Bible, because by that time I needed a little larger print. And that was my third Bible. Then I got one with a little larger print. And the one I'm on now is the largest print they, uh, 
they publish. And that's getting where I can't even read that one any longer. But I think I was on my third reading of Jeremiah the prophet, maybe my fourth. And I read scripture again, like I told you, I, I wait for something to strike me. And I read this passage from Jeremiah 31. Now, anybody comes to me for spiritual counseling, I talk about this all the time. So this is not going to be anything new to them. But this blew my mind when I read this. Now, I've read the scriptures. I've read Jeremiah many times. But in Jeremiah 31, God makes you and I three promises. And he says to you and I, he says the house of Israel, but God is talking to you and he's talking to me. He says, I will place my law within them. So God is promising us that we are going to be his people. He's going to be our God. He's going to put his law within us. He's going to write it on our hearts. And he's going to be our God and we're going to be his people. So God, instead of us having tablets of stone, instead of us having the commandments written on paper that we follow, the law is going to be written on our heart. Promise number one. Promise number two, he comes along and he says to us, and you will no longer have to teach each man his neighbor, each other, each man his neighbor, each man his brother, to know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest. Now the key to this passage is in this word know. If you understood the word know the way it's used in this particular passage, and typically used in Scripture, is an ancient word from the Hebrew text. And the first time you see this word is in Genesis chapter 2. It's a word called yada, and literally what it says is, Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and bore a son. So when God is saying we are going to know him, he's saying he's going to write his law in our heart, and once we understand what God is done, has done for us in Christ and the Holy Spirit, we are going to respond to God differently, and we are going to desire the intimacy with God that He desired when He created us in His image and likeness. Then when God created us, I don't know if you ever thought of this. You ever think about the fact that Adam and Eve were created sinless? Sinless. There's only two other human beings that we could talk about were sinless in their life. But Adam and Eve were created sinless until they ate of the apple and sinned. So here we are, God saying, you are going to be intimate with me because I'm going to write my law in your heart. And promise number three, he said, and I'm going to forgive your sins and I'm going to remember it no more. Forgiveness, we know. We say it all the time. Christ died to forgive our sins. But God is saying, I'm not going to remember your sin. So when we go to the pearly gates and God said, God says, Dave, why are you here? I'm going to say, well, God, you know. You know I'm here to hear because I died and I'm here for the judgment. He's going to say, okay, what am I judging? Well, no, you know, God, you know everything. You know everything I ever did. And God's going to say, I forgot it. Why don't you tell me? I'm going to say, that's okay, God. <laughs> it's okay. You know, if you don't remember it, I don't remember it either. 
I'm not talking about it. I don't need to. But think about this. Every passage in Scripture where Christ encounters a sinner, what does he do? What does he do with the woman at the well? I do not condemn you. I know everything about you. And he says to her, I have what you want. If you only ask for it, I will give it to you. He doesn't do any more than remind her that I know about your life. I know you have five husbands. You live in one who is not your husband. The reason you're at the well, you're avoiding all the townspeople. And I have what you want if you only ask. And there's the dilemma for us. Do we ask? The woman caught in adultery. I do not condemn you. The prodigal son. I want to be a slave in your house, Father, and Father's not even listening to him. A slave has no voice. A slave has nothing. A slave has no entitlements. He cannot open his voice. He can only do what the master says. Obey the laws. Obey the commandments. Do everything I say. And you got a place in my house. But I want you to be a son. I want you to be my son. And he restores the prodigal. So there's the three promises of God that he made to you so you could be holy men. He's going to write his law on our hearts. We're going to be intimate with God because we're going to begin to seek more and more of Christ in our life, in the scriptures, in our daily prayer, growing in programs that are offered to us so we can encounter Christ. And then finally he comes back in a very short period after Jeremiah through the prophet Ezekiel, and he said, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to take your hearts and I'm going to replace them with a new heart. I'm going to pour my spirit into you and make you live by my statutes and decrees. My brothers, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives to speak to us, to train us in holiness, to open the Word of God to us, to help us hear the voice of God speaking to us when He speaks to us. It makes everything different when you sit in Mass. The sacraments become alive. The homilies, you take pressure off of myself and people who preach because I'm not worried about what I'm saying because the Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart. Whether I'm saying the words or not, whether I'm even hearing what I'm saying, if you're listening to the Spirit, He will touch you and change your hearts. This is our equipment. God equipped us for holiness by sending us Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And the reason He did that is because He wants intimacy with us. He wants holy men. He wants a holy people. But He wants to do it us to do it His way by surrendering our lives to Him. And that is the hardest part of all. So when He says, when we talk about those things that Christ challenged us with, if you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. If we let the Holy Spirit begin to work in us, we're going to see beautiful women. Satan will throw beautiful women at us because we lust in our hearts. He will make them come one after the other. Another, we're sitting in a Miss Universe contest. And it will have no impact on us other than seeing a beautiful creature created by God in His image and likeness. We're going to see the qualities that God wants to see, not the lust that fills our own hearts. 
So my brothers and sisters, God is speaking to us. And I want you to understand, this is the promise of God. Remember when Adam was created, not the first story of Genesis, the second story of Genesis, where he takes the clay of the ground and he forms Adam. Remember the lifeless body of Adam? And what does God do? He breathes into the nostrils of Adam, and he comes to life physically. God wants to breathe the Holy Spirit into you and into me, he wants us to understand what Christ did for us. And what God did in a physical way in the Old Testament, He will do in a spiritual way in the New Testament that we become alive spiritually. So when God tells us we will be holy as He is holy, we don't have to try. Oh, I forgot about Matthew. We don't have to try. We're going to be holy. But in the end, we have to embrace Christ and what Christ is offering us. And part of that is acknowledging Christ in our lives, in our workplaces, at the gas pump, in the grocery store, and in everything we do in every aspect of our life. We need to acknowledge that Christ came to change us, not just redeem us, he didn't come just to be our Savior. He came to be the Lord in the center of our lives. So if you never really ever acknowledge Christ, you need to begin to think about doing that. It's just saying, like I did when I finally had my encounter. Now I'm going to tell you the truth. It took me 10 years to get there. I felt God nudging me way back in 1962. And it was a 10-year wrestling with God because I didn't want to give up what I had. I was progressing in my career. I was growing. I was doing a lot of wonderful things. I had the president of Union Carbide. I worked for Union Carbide for 21 years before I left him. I was running a plant in Greenville, North Carolina. President of Everett Battery Division of Union Carbide, a $1 billion business, comes into my office. He's touring my plant. And I always had a Bible on my desk. And he looks at the Bible and he picks it up and he looks at me and he looks at the Bible. He looks at me and he looks at the Bible. And he said, Dave, you read this? I said, yeah, every day. He looked at me and he said, huh. And he turned his hand and then went, <laughs> and he walks out of my office. I said, okay, that's it. I'm done. I don't know where they're going to send me. They're shipping me out to Red Oak, Iowa, to the far ends of the earth. You know, I'll never be seen again. By that time, I didn't really care. I knew that I had to acknowledge Christ because that's where I was. Now, the good news about that is he did ship me out. He sent me all the way to Singapore with a great big promotion, and I was happy as a lark. I got away from him. I got away from the, the politics of a big corporation. I'm running a business in Singapore all by myself. It was a wonderful five years. My brothers and sisters, God is calling you and I to holiness. He is saying, you shall be holy. Because I, the Lord, your God, made you holy. Let us pray.
God, you stand before us as you did every sinner. And you simply invite us. You say, come. Come follow me. Come and see. Come and experience. Come walk with me. Come dine with me. Come sit with me. Lord, give us the courage to say, I want to be your disciple, Lord. I want to follow you. I want to give you my heart to be transformed. I want to be a holy man. I want to be a better husband, a better father, a better friend, a better disciple. So I give you myself, Lord. And I ask that you send your spirit into me and change me. And I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.